Last time on Phoenix TX. Phoenix TX originally formed as River Phoenix in 1995 in Houston, Texas. William Salazar on guitars and vocal, Damon La Paz on guitars, Adam Lewis on bass, and Donnie Rays on drums. My couple takes a liking on them and even starts managing them for a short while. Perks of having a giant pop star friend, once he became huge, he just got Phoenix TX on MCA. All My Fault is the sole single it was used as part of a TV movie called Jailbait, and this is what Phoenix TX was associated with. We were just four weeks in. We cannot be going insane this early in the podcast. But what if we started already insane? To be fair, this is the most offensive and nothing record of all. I hate this town. I hate this fucking town. Dreams too big for this town. Stuck in this town. Hello and welcome to Gotta Get Out of This Town, a 2000 pop punk and emo pop retrospective. I am as always Elaine, and with me there are two other thing people beings. I'm Thing 1, Fletcher. I'm Thing 2, Adam. So you know what we do? We go from 1999 to 2013 and take a look, explore all of the records tagged, I think they're pop punk and emo pop that charted on Billboard. Why do we do this? Fletch, why do we do this? Because it seems that we have no filter and are going to bloody-mindedly pursue this goal for the thing that kills us. Why do we do this, Adam? For fun, question mark? <laughs> yeah, that, that's as accurate as it can get. Today, we're taking a look at the second, or third, depending on how you look at it, but the second that we talk about on this podcast, album by pop-punk band Phoenix TX. We encountered Phoenix TX once before, and they immediately became our sworn enemy. This is the second and last record that we'll have on this podcast from them, they will never chart again and not really publish anything, any full LP after this. And it's going to be interesting because we have a big section at the end where we also discover, as with all of the last records on this podcast, where are they now and what are they doing now and what did they do after the 2000s. And yeah, this is the end of the Phoenix TX saga, part two of two. It's like a Star Trek two-parter. The Enterprise blew up at the begin at the end of the last episode, and now we discover that it's just a simulation, and the true enemy is Phoenix TX. I want you to know that I went down a rabbit hole of Star Trek shitposting yesterday, so if I just start giggling thanks to that metaphor, uh, you're to blame. So today we're talking about Lechuza by Phoenix TX, and we're talking about the future of Phoenix TX after the 2000s. Do we want to start with their past, though? Do we want to start with what came between... Phoenix TX, and Lechuza. By the way, if you want to hear the beginning of this story, you should listen to our first episode about Phoenix TX. It's pretty easy. If you type Phoenix TX into any of the search bars, it will find them, because there are only three results, and they're band name, 
album name. I mean, yeah, if we, if you search Phoenix TX on Spotify and scroll down to podcast, uh, we are the first result. <laughs> I told you. <laughs> I'll bet if we typed them into YouTube, we might come up as a result and we're not even on there. Anyhow, let's go into Before This Album. When we last left off, Texas-based pop-punk quartet Phoenix TX, previously known as River Phoenix, all one word, was coming off a completely mediocre performing record. With Phoenix TX by Phoenix TX, a re-recording of their 1997 River Phoenix by River Phoenix album, it had hit 115 on the Billboard chart, and their single All My Fault made it into a single MTV original film we're not going to discuss again. Despite this medium success, their label was apparently not thrilled. Phoenix TX revealed themselves as hard to work with, and Damon and Adam weren't a fan of the label trying to steer their career and, you know, make them popular. Simultaneously, the band was also not happy with their mediocre payout for their mediocre album, as they were seeing little to no money from the label after their initial signing bonus, which, and this is me editorializing, seems fair since you made the label little to no money after your initial signing bonus. Also, this is funny because, like, usually these things, like the band say, like, you know, 10 years later when they're on another label, but they were going around in interviews being like, yeah, they're not paying us, like, in 2001, when they were still signed to their label. They were like, yeah, our label sucks. They're not paying us. I'm gonna at least give them that. That's a power move to just be like... That's some brass balls, but boy, I wonder why their career went nowhere. So in this very 2001 climate, uh, Donny Reyes, the drummer, decides to leave the band, and this replaced Don Drums by the lead guitar player, Damon de la Paz, for some reason. Which, yeah, I say for some reason because the drums are nothing special, and on the, um, on the interview they say, oh no, our guitar player is actually like an amazing drummer, and he's not, like, it's not bad, but like... He certainly exists, is a way to put it. So the band is now down a guitar player. So for the recording of Lechuza and their following tour, they're joined by James Love, who is a session musician who, if you know him, you'll probably know him better for having worked and eventually joined the Dillinger Escape Plan. Or if you're me, you may have seen him live at a county fair as part of the reformed Men Without Hats. In the 2010s, Men Without Hats was a thing. I went to see Men Without Hats perform in 2015. I looked up the year. Amazing. He also looks a bit like Jeff Jarrett, if you see the photos of him. Like... Yes. But will he give you a two-sweet? You just reminded me that Jeff Jarrett was in Bullet Club for like a week. <laughs> I am in pain now. <laughs> <laughs> it's me, the other person on the podcast with wrestling knowledge. Anyhow, so this is how we come to the record. They were complaining about their label, and they they lost the drummer, and then gained the drummer. But in the process, they lost the guitar player, and then gained the guitar player. 
בתשובה. Lechuza is produced by Jerry Finn, who at this point had reached pop-punk ultra-instinct status and was producing about 10 records at the same time without even having to think about it. The mixing is handled by Andy Wallace, who, among other things, mixed Limp Biscuits, chocolate starfish, and or hot dog-flavored water. Look, tell me that I'm wrong. Like, every single pop-punk record we're coming across is just like, who's producing this? Jerry Finn. How many records does he produce us in a year? I don't know what the sentence pop-punk ultra-instinct means. Oh, that's a Dragon Ball thing. That's why I don't know what that means. Even I don't know what that means. To quote Will Salazar about uh, discussions of the record, uh, I did do most of the songwriting, but for Lechuza, the guys were looking for a different direction, so they wrote some songs that were just way different, like Something Bad's Gonna Happen and Pasture of Muppets, just so that they could have some songs that they could, in their own words, actually have fun playing on stage. They weren't pleased with the last album, and that's why we wouldn't play lots of those songs at our shows. We only played the ones that they enjoyed and the ones that they thought we had to play. Why, why does Will Salazar have a British accent when you do him? Because I had to make sure he sounded different from me, so you could tell that I was speaking as him. Uh, just going to editorialize for a second. If you're a band with only two albums, one of which is mostly remastering the other and you only play the songs you enjoy and the ones you feel like you have to, out of a catalog of 20 tops, how bad are your live shows? Which were the songs that they enjoyed, though? I know, that's even more... They got picky, and they felt obligated, and they've barely written anything over two albums at this point. The implication is that the two members of the band that weren't uh, Will Salazar wanted to play those like heavier songs that you can see in the record, which, yeah, that was sort of a departure from the first record. Anyhow, during this time, the band was pretty much in full internal conflict mode. Most of the band was annoyed at the label, and plenty of the band was annoyed at each other. See the song Beating a Dead Horse on the record when they just openly diss each other in the middle of this record? That must have been fun. Specifically, Will Salazar was not quite getting, you know, gelling with the other two members of the band. Uh, James Love was sort of like a witness to all of this. He was a, in the band from the beginning and was sort of just like standing there while everyone else hated each other. He's like, I'm just here to get paid, thanks. And they're, like, fighting, pulling each other's hair. There's, like, that cartoonish cloud where, like, every so often, like, an arm or a leg sticks out. You hear a cat screeching. Yeah, Will, in fact, at this point stated that he was basically thinking about quitting the band, but the only reason why he stayed is because he believed in the record that they were making, believed in Lechuza, and thought that if they put out a really good record, it will heal the relationship of the band, which is sort of like having a child to like heal a romantic relationship. I was just gonna say that. 
Yeah, it's not a best idea. <laughs> because if you if you actually end up making a real successful record, then you find yourself like stuck in like success and having to make more stuff with people that you hate. And if you don't make a successful record, it's even worse because everyone will blame each other about not making a successful record. So that's a loose, loose situation there. Yep. Will Salazar seems like a very good guy, but I also definitely get the sense that he might be, like, literally under a mummy's curse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it doesn't stop here. Yeah, we'll get there. Uh, two singles are released for Lechuza. The first, Threesome, gets a video where a bunch of people dry hump around the band playing the song, and there is an intermission where you can watch two girls make out for about 30 seconds to silence. I wish that was a joke. And Phoebe Cates gets no video. None of the single, surprise, will chart in any significant way, but the record will actually have an impressive debut at 87 on the Billboard 200 chart, just to then plummet in two weeks out of the chart. Haha. <laughs> I can imagine that given the success of Blink-182, the label was pushing this record and maybe it got a lot of like initial airplay and sales and then it didn't quite, you know, sustained that success. Everyone was like, oh boy, diet Blink-182. And then they really remembered two weeks later, oh wait, diet sucks. <laughs> oh wait, Blink-182 has a record in like two weeks. <laughs> yeah, like, we could just consume the real thing. Oh, wow. I'm looking at the chart you linked, and holy crap. <laughs> this is a brutality. So we're in June 9, 2001, and first of all, the chart opens with Break the Cycle by Stained, which is just like Chef Kiss. Debuts at number one. Yes. Yes. Then we have Lateralus by Tool, which is a good record, but Tool has become an unfortunate band. Oh, yeah. What else? I, I, I swear there's just like a ton of... Re oh, there's a Weezer record in there. Weezer by Weezer. Which one is it? I don't know, because they're all named the same. This is the one that has a photo as a cover, so it's not a color. Oh, uh, I don't remember this one. <laughs> it's one of the Weezer records. <laughs> I think... I think this might be the green album, but I'm not sure based on the... the I think this is Hashpipe era Weezer. Hmm. Like, this is right before they broke up. Drops of Jupiter has been there for like 14 weeks. We know we love that. Uncle Cracker is in the top 20. Yay! <laughs> Uncle Cracker. I will never not point out that Uncle Cracker existed. I will never not point out that he had uh, he wrote the X Pac team for WWE, one of the most memorably bad teams in wrestling history. I mean, there's the Shrek soundtrack. Oh, okay. Here's a four four places in a row that just say so much about the state of contemporary music. Twenty four through twenty seven. Number twenty four, Reveal by REM. Hey, it's the album no one remembers. Yeah. Chocolate Starfish at 25. Dave Matthews Band's Every Day is 26. And Depeche Mode is in the We Just Got Clean slump of Exciter at 27. Oh, that's one of the worst, isn't it? Yes, I saw that tour. That's pre-playing the Angel, which is where they started to get good again. 
Yes. I mean, uh, all filler, no killer is still there. Uh, Dido. I misread that. <laughs> Every one of us misread Dido's name at least 70 times. Speaking of Cyberpunk 2077, it's Dido. <laughs> uh, O-Town, number 40. Just all of this. This is such a wild view. <laughs> it's, it's weird, right? Because you remember all of this band existing, but until you look at a chart, you don't have that, like, massive view of... All of this stuff was popular at the same time. Okay, I have to see what was directly around these idiots. So... Okay, so Lechuza kicks off at 87. Directly above it, the three above are Parachutes by Coldplay. Which have been on the chart for like 81 weeks. Tim McGraw's Greatest Hits, the first one. And Matchbox 20's Mad Season, the one that nobody cared about. And directly beneath them are the Dixie Chicks, before they get in trouble. Snoop Dogg's The Last Meal, which I guarantee you forgot about. And Fuel, Something Like Human. And speaking of, I bet you forgot about them. Fuel existed. Never heard of them. They had apparently been on the chart for 72 weeks. And a few lower is one of the greatest sleeper gems of this era, the Josie and the Pussycat soundtrack. I didn't know there was a live-action movie for that. It's good. It's legitimately good. And below that, The Thickness by Disturbed. And Crazy Town. <laughs> Crazy Town. Come, my lady. Come, come, my lady. This is the only song you will ever know Crazy Town for. Also, just mentioning, Parachutes by Coldplay? Fucking overrated. A Rush of Blood to the Head is way better. It's a way more interesting record. Well, yeah, but Coldplay was their debut. They're allowed to be a little weak on the debut. Yeah, but like, if you listen to like people who talk about music, they're always like, oh, Coldplay was good on Parachutes. And it's just like, no, their second record was better. They actually got better... Up until Viva La Vida, and then they started getting worse. But they, their first four records, they were great. X and Y was a bit too pop. I actually like a lot of modern Coldplay. Same. I like their pop stuff. I don't think... Like, their pop stuff is very much, like, background music. Like, it's not something that, you know, I would purposefully listen to, but it's fine. I didn't like their last record. I think their last record was sort of, like, slow and, like, trying to be old Coldplay, but without, like, any of the good stuff of their first records. Does Coldplay count as pop punk? <laughs> no. Yes, in that they're popular and that it's like you're sticking fingers in someone's eyes if you tell them that you're a fan. <laughs> All right, good to know. I look forward to putting them into our spreadsheet. We should talk about the record. We should.
my thing about this is that like if i have this album on in the background while i'm doing something else it's like moderately pleasant not bad it is better than the debut album for sure yes i don't love this album i can safely say that this album is better than phoenix tx by phoenix tx it opens with phoebe cates which is a song that I hate how catchy it is, because the lyrics are gross. Oh, oh yeah. Time to look at the lyrics, I guess. Oh, oh, I get to read these off. I get to read these off. I fucking hate how catchy this song is, because the lyrics are incredibly gross, but also it's catchy. It's actually like, has this anime opening vibes with what the rhythm guitar is doing, the prominent vocals, the interesting, like, jump between notes the mixing is odd the mixing is weird like you can hear that this is the guy who mixed Limp Biscuit because it's mixing this guy's like they sort of were Limp Biscuit. the drums and guitars are like very prominent where the voice should actually be taking center stage so it's, just, it's a weird mix this also made me think this Phoenix TX ever do a Sonic team because this also sounds like a Sonic team they didn't, probably because of some of the things they said about Phoebe Cates opening them up to lawsuits. Yeah, okay, let's, <laughs> let's talk about this. This song, I, I'm gonna, this is my premise. This song is incredibly catchy and I hate it, and Fletch will explain to you why we hate it. So, this does have a really good opening, and it got me pumped, and then the instant the lyrics begin, it gets creepy as sin. Oh, this is a real person. I didn't know that. Yeah, all the stuff in the chorus is referencing a lot of her roles. Oh, Jesus. Okay. I thought that this was another one of those things where it's like, oh, yeah, made up person name thing that bands sometimes do. To be fair, Phoenix DX leveling up. This time they're lasting uh, on a adult person. It's true. That That's a step up from the last record. Should give them that. That is... That is a step up. Within three lines, we're at, I will dream a different lie, stuck in between her thighs, and just wonder when I will meet her. All I need is someone like Phoebe, someone to excite my fantasy, and every night I'll dream. And I'm wasting time going blind, thinking she'll be mine tonight. Wasting time going blind, thinking she'll be mine. We also just say the quiet part loud with, can you guess my favorite part? I used to like tossing off to her pool scene. <laughs> now I'm kissing TV screens because she's the only star who touched my heart on. That's that's not even a joke. That's a direct lyric. Yeah, the worst part about that is that can you guess my favorite part would be a funny joke if you don't explain it. If you're like, can you guess my favorite part? Haha, <laughs> he means the part where she's naked. Yeah. But then they go, it's that part. It's the part where she's naked. Get it? <laughs> And it's just like, well, I guess if you have to explain it. And the thing that gets me is, you cut a couple of lines, this would be tasteless, but perfectly all right, because you have to read between the lines a little for wasting time going blind. Yeah. But then it's like, oh yeah, no, no, uh, I touched my pee-pee to her, just overtly spoken four times in the song. It's great. Yeah, it's... <laughs> God, I hate this. It's so catchy, and I hate this. Yeah. Yeah. Musically, definitely one of the best songs on the album. Yeah. 
<laughs> Lyrics wise, hard zero. of not wanting to see let's talk about the second song in a row named after a woman kdw this one's also based on a real woman and nearly got them in legal trouble is it i didn't find that the song is allegedly about the lead singer will salazar's ex-girlfriend who could not curtail his weed habit it was originally written as mary J, and the label would not sign off on a song with an obvious reference to narcotics huh Interesting. Yep. So, um, this one's incredibly bland, and my notes actually just start referencing Ocarina of Time because of how many times it's hey, 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 over and over and over. Like, you know what the hey reminded me of? It's like the major key remix of Mel's, like, Teen ten, ten Spirit. Hey, hey, but it's only major key. There was another band, or not another band, another song on this album that made me think of Nirvana, but I can't remember which one it was. Uh, Also, the intro, since we're playing the game of this reminds me of this other thing, the intro reminds me of uh, Foxtrot something something something, the the Bloodhound Gang song that spells fuck. Ah. Incidentally, Bloodhound Gang way better at being, like, grossly horny. The Bloodhound Gang got a little silly with it. And that's the thing that so many of these tracks we cover doesn't do. There's no silliness. It's just a weird dude on the bus telling you what he whacked off to. (laughs) Yeah. My final note on this is Don't Expect Me to Try is the most brutally honest lyric on this album. Yeah. But yeah, this, uh, again... Sort of sounds like Major Chord, Smell Like Teen Spirit. Vaguely follows the tracks of other, like, slightly harder pop-punk acts that we've heard so far, but it's not nearly as good as uh, anything Newfound Glory did. This is, ve- this is a very Newfound Glory track without anything remarkable. This is not bad, it's just, like, a very unremarkable pop-punk song, I think. Yep. Anyhow, with that done, let's move on to their biggest single on this album, threesome. like if I wrote a song about sex this has very like yes I definitely did the, the sex energy <laughs> yeah yeah um, 
There's a couple of really good laughable lyrics in here. Now go ahead and pretend I'm your master now. Let's try this again only faster now. And if you want to dance, if she wants to lead, I'll go out of my way, I'll do anything, and one word is all I need. Yeah. It's a song about sex that sounds like it's been written by someone who does nothing about sex. It's great. It's actually pretty catchy. Actually, I found my favorite one that makes me laugh. You both deserve a good time in every position that I can think of. <laughs> yeah, I've done I've done sex. I did it in the positions that I can think of. Yeah, you know, attack position, defense position, all of them. He he, he just knows so many positions he can't name them all. He's just so gifted. An incredibly excellent joke. From the days when Polly Shore did stand up about Prince's get off. And he he's just talking about how there's the line, 23 positions in a one night stand. And Polly Shore's just like, I don't know if I have the stamina for two. How do you do 23 in a night? And what are 23 positions? <laughs> and he just goes on a whole bit about this one line in a Prince song. And I've always loved it. That, no, that does sound funny. Anyhow, this song is fine. It's not as catchy as Phoebe Kate's, but it's a bit less reprehensible. It's also not as creepy. <laughs> yeah, so I'll take it. It's not as creepy except for the 30-second lesbian break in the video. Yeah, I mean, that's inclusion for you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I really like the vocal layering. I think this is where you can hear that this is a Jerry Finn production. He does a lot of decent work on this. The mixing is still off, but what you gonna do? The layering on the voice is weak. And yeah, Salazar is a good vocalist, actually. I don't hate him. He sounds different from a lot of his pop-punk peers. He conscience the lyrics a lot more. Like, this is... Probably the most you can actually understand what he's singing, pop-punk singer that we have so far. Which is a shame, because what he's singing is mostly like garbage, but in terms of lyrics, but it has a unique delivery that, you know, I can associate to him. And he has like a decent grasp of vocal melodies, especially you can see it in the song. This song is great. No, it's not great. This song is fine. It's good. It's a good song. It's a good single. It's acceptable. It's adequate. I think Phoebe Cates is catchier, but I understand why Phoebe Cates wasn't the first single. I would give this song an extra point, but I docked one because they reuse it wholesale by the end of the album. Oh yeah, at least two times. There's one that's just like this song, but it's a ballad. And you know that when that happens, something bad is gonna happen? I don't know. Transition <laughs> to the next song, something bad is gonna happen. I don't remember this song at all. This is my There's Nothing Here. <laughs> yeah, we're getting in some, uh, the band trying to be sleazy, hard rock, which is pretty much the whole middle of this record. 
is the band trying to be like sleazy Velvet Revolver hard rock. If you read the lyrics on this one out of context, it's comedy gold trying to imagine the guy who was singing threesome saying, Hey, you want it. Hey, we'll get it. Hey, you want to fuck shit up? Well, come on, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. I bet you feel like you're about to piss your pants now. Real lyrics. This is a very repetitive song. I like the guitar. Over 60% of the lyrics are simply, Hey, you want it. Hey, we'll get it. Hey, steal the attention from everybody. Hey, you want it. Hey, we'll get it. Hey, you want to fuck shit up. Well, motherfucker, come on. That's it. Over 60%. I am less of an anti-repetition than you, Fletch. But especially when you're trying to be like, Oh, cool hard rock on a song. It hurts it a lot, especially because that chorus is super cheesy, and I feel like, you know, you need some more meat to actually have a good hard rock track, and this is not it. They don't they don't nearly have the charisma to pull out, like, to pull off, like, uh, we are Velvet Revolver, we are sleazy hard rock dudes. And the thing is, despite how aggro that chorus is repeated endlessly... All this song is about is, it's 3 a.m., let's snatch and grab some shit. Edgy. That's it. This album is one of those albums where I feel like at least one minute could have been taken off of each of the songs, and it would have been better. <sighs> yes, it would have. Mm. There is a song later that is like, oh, this is a great two-minute song, and then I realize, why is this four minutes? Why it's going, what, what, why it keeps going? I think I know the exact one, because I wrote similar. <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, the next song is Tearjerker. Which, if I am correct, they didn't make any jerk-off joke about a song named Tear Jerker. So that's Groat, I think. That's character Groat right there. This is the breakup song on this album. It's awful. Clearly, Phoebe Kate must have never been in a sad movie. Otherwise, they would have been Tear Jerkers. <laughs> and this is years before the amazing Ryan Murphy introduced the term Christurbation to us. <laughs> Oh, it's when uh, in the first season of American Horror Story, you see Dylan McDermott weeping as he jerks off out his window. I, I've never seen American Horror Story, but okay. <laughs> and I never will. It's a very striking scene because, you know, he's really given it his all on both ends of the scene. <laughs> sure. Anyhow, this song, remember the calling? Remember Hubastank? Remember Angel in Airwaves? This is that stuff. Hey, Ellie. Hey, Adam. What? Best on album for effort and distinctiveness is my note here. <laughs> I disagree. <laughs> A lot of new sounds. The, the actual performers practiced. Little too long. This is, this is my favorite song on this record. This is a guy who 
three songs before were singing about masturbating over Phoebe Cates, and now we're singing I Will Wait For You. It, it yeah. doesn't work. Michael, my main note on this is that this sucks so hard that I'm surprised it wasn't a hit. <laughs> because, again, the radio loves this kind of, like, fucking, like, slow, shitty, soft rock ballads. Yeah, this was accidental Coldplay. Refreshing my memory on this song, I'm with you, Fletch. <laughs> it's not, like, the top of the album for me, but I do like that kind of music, so. There's an alternate world where this was their sound and they might have gone further as a band, but as one track in the middle of an album that's trying hard to be butt rock? No. If this was their sound, I would have hated them. I hate this sound. I already don't hate them. I don't have any emotion towards them whatsoever. At least this inspires something in me. I think Phoebe Cates is worth 10 20s of this track. I will sacrifice all of the shitty, soft rock, early 2000, like, ballads to the altar of getting another Phoebe Cates. And Phoebe Cates is not that great. It has really gross lyrics, but it's listenable, at least. Ellie, Ellie, I think you're having a personal problem right now. <laughs> ah! Bah! <laughs> it's probably a good thing you... Stopped her because I was going to try stopping her by singing some of Dave Matthews from this time period. No, don't. Pick me up, Lord, every day. I will erase every single instance of you talking in this podcast and every previous episode. <laughs> that would be so much work, Ellie. I don't care. I'm unemployed. I have time. Anyhow... Pasture of Muppets. Pasture of Muppets is the single best bit of writing on this album. I don't think the song is red written. I think the title is funny. <laughs> oh, I mean the title. I mean the title. Once it clicked for me, I just started cracking up. Yeah. <laughs> the title is the title is a funny joke. What's the joke? Oh, uh, it's Master of Puppets by Metallica. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> See? That's actually really clever! <laughs> that is actually a funny joke. Also, because that clicked for me, I started writing a little checklist on every other track on this album. Is this worse than Saint Anger? This song is yes. <laughs> is it though? Like, yes. this album is mediocre. Saint Anger was bad. Well, I went track by track. This track is worse than Saint Anger. Hmm. Uh, so here's my thing about this track. They keep trying to be hard rock. Mm -hmm. We established they don't have really the vocal charisma or the energy to be so. 
and that's fine. But you also notice here that it's very clear, especially because Will Salazar, as if you listen to interview, wrote all of the vocal melodies, regardless of if, you know, of the rest of the song. He pretty much wrote all of the things that he was thinking. You can really hear that it's not, he has, probably doesn't like hard rock much and it's not his genre and was pushed by the rest of the band to make this kind of song because the vocal melodies really don't work for this kind of song. They are very summery, they're very pop punky, they actually are like very upbeat, a bit cheesy and they so don't work with a genre that's based so much in you have to be cool, you have to be gritty, you have to have like this, you know, this this raw energy. And when you're singing pop punk melodies over those kind of hard rock riffs, it just doesn't work. It just comes off as the cheesiest possible rendition of the genre. This is bad. Oh yeah, this is terrible. And it's the most repetitive song on the whole album. (laughs) And it's going in every single wrong direction for the talent that they have in this room and it's wild that this isn't even a one-off but it has the best title on the whole album so it gets an extra star (laughs) i actually remember this song and i thought that it was faintly pleasant to listen to so it's fine okay yeah i would still put it up there it's definitely in the top half of the album, but I don't think that makes it good. I think it just says a lot of damning things about what else is here. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. That, that's that's basically it. Like the next song, a song for everyone. Welcome to the mid-tempo romantic song of the record by Phoenix TX, the people who are masturbating over Phoebicates a couple of tracks ago. Don't you want these dudes to romance you? Don't you want them to try and woo you? This one was in Clockstoppers. Yep, I was gonna say it. I know you were trying to beat me to it. <laughs> oh no, I was just like, oh yeah, that's a thing. I saw it with my eyeballs just now. William Riker's Clockstoppers, yes. We all know how much Fletch loves Clockstoppers. The most romantic line in this song. All that I have, $26 in the keys to a Cadillac. All that I know, drive all night, go anywhere you want to go. All that I want and all that I need, and all I want to know is do you want to come with me? (laughs) Do you want to come with him, either of you? No. Um... No, I think I'll just steal the keys. (laughs) I'll walk. Please note, he does not say they're his Cadillac. (laughs) He just says he has 26 bucks and the keys to a Cadillac. So, I would put this in one of the better songs on here. 
if it weren't for the fact that there's a whole minute of long slowdown and then outro where it turns into a ZX Spectrum. I think this is not particularly memorable, even without that. It has a decent pre-chorus. It has, like, this very, you know, Newfound Glory has this very, like, very good building up pre-chorus that sort of stops the song in the, in the just right before the chorus, before the chorus actually goes into the catchy bit. This is a technique they use a lot. They tend to be very good at it. But the reason why it works in Newfound Glory song is that they write good choruses. Uh, this song doesn't have... A chorus that's like it's too cheesy again i like william salazar like vocal melodies but they're very cheesy they're very uh, and yeah this sort of makes the song not work for me also again uh, when you're especially in pop but whenever you're building an album not just in pop whenever you're building an album you're building a, a work that should work as a whole you're work you're building like a, a work of art a work of entertainment but something that should work as a whole and to me a record that starts with them masturbating over phoebe kate doesn't work as a whole with the romantic songs those are two diametrical opposite of the spectrum and they are not used in a smart way that is not like you know a it is not an artistic choice that those two things are together. They just happen to be together because those are two songs that are written. But those two songs shouldn't be on the same album because they don't work thematically. And in fact, you know, they make each other worse because the, it, there's a disconnect there and I feel that's important to me in a record that there isn't that kind of disconnect. I don't know. My take on this song is that if... You had given, like, sent a link to a, a, a lyrics video of this song to, like, younger teenage me, devoid of any of the context of Phoenix TX or the rest of the album, I probably would have really liked it. Okay. Unfortunately, I have context. <laughs> well... Let's move on to Manufactured Inspirato, the second most pretentious title on this album. And they keep trying really hard to be art rock. And they keep not being good at it. They also unironically sing about the American dream. This sucks. This is probably the worst hard rock track on this record. Yes. I like the guitars. This is, um, you know, I will give this my worst in show. Like, it's just such a double hit with, like, the music being, like, bland. They still can't really pull off the hard rock sound. The chorus sucks. And and then the lyrics are terrible. The Yeah, the lyrics are some, like, pull yourself off your bootstrap bullshit. And I'm like, fuck off. Ew. This is not even a good song. This is not even Phoebe Cates, where it's actually catchy. It's just all around awful. Also, I was super upset that given the long, weird outro to a song for everyone, 
it did not lead into this in any way. It's just suddenly cut to hard butt rock guitars. <laughs> like, I thought that was why the last track had that bizarre outro was to be like, oh, it's lead in for what we're doing on the very Mars Volta sounding track. Nope. Anyhow, let's not beat a dead horse. Let's talk about the song beating a dead horse. This album is beating a dead horse. <laughs> I have a question for y'all. Okay. Mm. Is Phoenix TX the Fleetwood Mac of pop punk? No, because I like Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> this is a song where they openly diss each other because they hated each other at this point. On the record. Name me a single thing as good as Fleetwood Mac imploding because the whole band was a coked up polycule, though. Yeah, they imploded because they were, like, sort of just hated each other. They never give a reason. They're just like, yeah, we didn't like each other. Like, if we're carrying your logic through, Phoenix TX did not implode because of drugs and relationships. It imploded because they tried to get way too normy with, you know, things like, oh, yeah, maybe if we deliver one good album, it'll make the whole band stay together instead of, Yo, I fucked you and you and you and we're out of blow and I'm fucking done. Yeah, that's fair. Just saying, the line there is pretty thin. Yeah, the little white line and someone snorted it and now we're going home. <laughs> yeah, beating on a horse is not good. Also, I'm pretty sure that's what the drum pattern on this song is. Literally beating a dead horse. And the vocal filters on the second vocalist... Woof. If anything, this record teaches us a thing, that a record being harder than pop punk is not actually always a good thing. This record goes very hard. It's also pretty bad. Also, still worse than Saint Anger. Ah, but Saint Anger has frantic on it. Has frantic tick-tock, tick-tock, tack. Yeah, but this is worse than Saint Anger. I... <laughs> Saint <laughs> How long ago have you listened to Saint Anger Fletch? Saint Anger is really bad. I've rewatched some kind of monster recently. I'm very familiar. Saint Anger is terrible, but the film it made is delight. Let's move on to Abba Zabba, which is just slow threesome. Jerker sounded like slow treason to me. I forgot to mention that. I think that one works just because they changed the instruments. This is straight up the same chords in places. I like that song. So this is fine. Like, the first two minutes of the songs are fine. And then it goes on 
This is one good two-minute song repeated two times. I also want to point out, I can literally sing the chorus of this song to the beat of threesome, and it matches perfectly. Did you like the part on the song where three minutes in, they have a slow bridge, promising you that now they will repeat the chorus, but with more energy, harder, and then they repeat the chorus like, like the first time they did it, with no addition, just like straight up the chorus as they did it at the beginning? It's one of the most disappointing moments in the record. I thought it was a moderately pleasant song. I don't think it's bad. I think it's double the length of what it should be. Oh no, that's true. I think it's firmly mediocre. That's the Phoenix TX promise. It's not as good as the Captain Beefheart song named Dabba Zabba, which is what comes up if you search for this thing on Google. Yep. Again, it's a perfectly good two-minute song, and I have no idea how Jerry Finn, who is like an experienced producer in pop music and pop punk, just went like, yeah, you can leave this on the record at four minutes. We're not cutting this at all. Like, that is why a producer is there, to be like, we're cutting this crack in half. Okay, but here's the thing. Phoenix TX is, as we mentioned earlier, the ultimate laziness band, wherein it took them two albums to get one hit single, and the second album was the first one recorded with better production equipment. And I think... After an entire year, the fact that they got 11 songs, even if three of them are the same song, is something amazing for this group. Let's talk about El Baracho and bring this baby home. My note on El Borracho is, this sucks, but Fletch will love it. (laughs) (laughs) Yup. (laughs) Yup. I guess we're definitely doing this podcast enough that we're starting to pick these out now. (laughs) So here's the thing. I actually started writing timestamps on this one because this is almost nine minutes long. Uh, You can see as it goes on, they want to be the Deftones now. Wait, no, it's Alice in Chains. At 4.15, I wrote, this is going to last all nine minutes, isn't it? Because the whole thing was getting really repetitive at that point. Then at 5.30, it turns into what is basically a bonus track. And this instrumental became my number two on the album. I was thinking this could have been like at least two different songs. My notes on this is, this is Fallon Black Days about bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like how we both kept going to the alt rock well. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I, I I don't think this is a bad song. I'll be honest. I think this is fine. It's just again, it's the problem with the context. This is not a song that works in the context of this record for me. This record is so all over the place, and finishing it with the sort of alt rock slow jam that explodes in a climax at the end 
while it's not bad on its own. Hee <laughs> hee, climax. Mm. <laughs> while it's not bad on its own, this kind of songs works generally in the flow of a record. Just having this bit at the end, it's nice. It's like, yeah, they're trying something new. But it's not something that I can really enjoy like like this as the closer of a record that's completely different from it. Again, th- th- this whole record has a big feel of they were trying a bunch of things, but they they never thought about what makes a record, right? This is a bunch of songs. This is not a record. There is a difference. This is a bunch of songs that they recorded. If this record were an instrumental all the way through, two stars better. Uh, no, I disagree. I think I think that my favorite thing on this record is Will Salazar, like vocal melodies. I think that's their strength. I think Phoebe Cates, Abba Zabba, and uh, KTW to an extent, and Threesome are all like pretty good songs, mostly because uh, Salazar is a talented singer and can actually craft decent pop-punk melodies and I think the rest doesn't work because they don't do that. They try and be an art rock band and fail at it because half of the band didn't want to be a hard rock band. I, I think the first album was so bland, and when we got to KDW, I was worried that we were going to be in for another Phoenix TX special, but this record is a failure, but it's a very fascinating failure. Yeah, it's, um, it's better than the first record. The pop-punk songs are better than the pop-punk songs on the first record. The hard rock songs are really terrible, but they are interesting at least there was a thing that nathan rabin used to do at the av club when he was a writer there called my year of flops he was going through at first just a year of failed movies and his rating scale was failure which means nothing there worth it fiasco where the story is or the final product is so much more interesting than what they intended or secret success which is Okay, despite the reputation, this is good. This is firmly fiasco territory, and I love it. Uh, I don't know. I this is not lit, which is my my thing. This is not lit. It's a interesting record that is not particularly great to listen to. This is, I don't know. This is weak for me. Like it has interesting things. It wasn't boring to listen to. But they try a lot of things and they're not good at it, which is which is the thing. They try a lot of things and I'm not thinking, well, if they refine their work, if they work more at it, maybe they can be good at these things. I don't think Phoenix TX in any possible future would have been a good hard rock band. I don't think Phoenix TX in any possible future would have been a good 
soft rock, the calling, early 2000 radio rock band. I don't think Phoenix X in any future could have been a good alt-rock, whatever they're trying with the last track band. Do you think they could have been a good pop-punk band? <laughs> Maybe. I think... No. <laughs> no. Uh, I think... I don't know. I think the main problem with being a pop-punk band is that half of the band clearly didn't want it to be a good pop-punk band. And yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Do you think that if the one member that wanted it to be a pop-punk band could have made a different band that would have been a good pop-punk band? Maybe. I think the one shining thing in this record is that Will Salazar has good vocal melodies. He can build the melody. I don't think it's great, though. Here's the thing. Even is good at it, and is definitely the most talented person in that band, but his melodies are also, like, sort of cheesy and not amazing. Like, there are... They try a lot of different things, but there is no sparkle there in any of the things that they try. There is no, huh, this thing is interesting. They just try a lot of different things, and that's not enough for me to make a really interesting failure. So I started looking to see things that they did, because it's like, okay, they didn't disintegrate instantly after they after this album. And I went, there had to have been more. And that's how I just discovered Phoenix TX's cover of Billy Ocean's Get Out of My Dreams, Get Into My Car, recorded for the NASCAR on Fox Crank It Up collection. Oh, that's a cool thing that I missed. Good job, Fletch. What? Who else is on? The, okay. Buck Cherry. Fear Factory covering Gary Newman. Static X. Slipknot. Slayer doing Born to be Wild. Typo Negative doing Highway Star. This album is insane. I'm <laughs> buying this when we're done here. Okay. Have fun. Adam, final thoughts on the record. It was all right. <laughs> like... I don't, I'm not going to expend any more energy on Phoenix TX than I need to. It was okay. record from Phoenix DX that we'll ever review, but can we call it review the things that we do? Is that accurate? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We yeah. are reviewers. Yeah. <laughs> I even have a star-based rating system. I told you that. I have a star-based rating system and a tier-based rating system. I have a spreadsheet and a radio music and they intersect. I don't have any of these things because I'm not a real reviewer. Well, yeah, you're not of legal age to be a reviewer yet. <laughs> We'd have to pay you. Ageism. <laughs> but yeah, but, you know, despite us stopping covering Phoenix DX on this podcast, their story doesn't end here. They go on to work for Fox and NASCAR. Yeah, aside from that, <laughs> the, the record has good sales in their debut, but again, plummets very quickly in the charts. 
And the band still, you can say that the band had cultivated at the point a cult audience. It wasn't big, but there were Phoenix DX fans at the time. Difficult to think of, but they existed. The record, despite all of this, is not considered a commercial success. The first track, Phoebe Cates, will end up on the soundtrack of American Pie 2, boosting the band's sale and appeal for their first tour. Another of their songs will end up on Clockstoppers, which will not have the same effect. But yeah, at this point, the band is pretty much imploding. They hate each other a lot. They cannot stand each other. And we're talking mainly about the three original members. James Love is sort of external to all of this and just decides to leave the band because, you know. Suck it, I'm out. Yeah. So the band will tour in the usual pop-punk circles after that, Warp Tour, some dates with P.O.D. and a couple of other relevant acts from the era. And they will basically just change their guitar player around during the dates. They will go through like two or three different guitar players. Eventually, Damon and Adam against Will Wishes just break up the band. Will wanted to continue having the band be a thing and they were like, fuck you. Their motivation, and I quote, is that at this point no one gives a shit about us. In 2002, Phoenix DX is no more. That's tragic. This doesn't end here though. Salazar goes on and forms a pop rock band named Denver Harbor that was such a success you have to add band after their name if you want Google to find them. Also, one of the members of the band looks uncannily like a shorter-haired Noel Fielding, which is kind of impressive because I didn't know that could get lower. The only thing they did that's available on Spotify is a not-terrible cover of I'm With You for Boys on Top, a punk rock tribute to Avril Lavigne. This is an extremely cursed record name. <laughs> Just saying. I don't know. I'm going to look up what else is on that when I'm done with this part. <laughs> they will be signed by Universal in 2004 and release Scenic, their first album, which, to quote Salazar, says... Musically, the album was much more diverse than Phoenix TX's material, with influences ranging from post-grunge to reggae to pop-rock. I haven't listened to this record, but that reggae there is just like, oh, oh no, oh no, don't. I'm intrigued by the concept, but it sounds like it will be an uphill battle for me to find it. Given that the record will sell very poorly and Universal will drop them the next year, causing the band to effectively split up as a result. The other two members of the band, Damon De La Paz and Adam Lewis, on the other hand, break up Phoenix TX and form a new band right after that. The project is initially named Big Black Boat, and it was just them writing instrumentals. Eventually they rename it Ch Ch Ch, ha ha ha, great title there, very catchy. When they are joined by singer Antonis, when they are joined by singer Antonis Calamir, 
no relation with the skateboard guy, as far as I'm aware. It's just like a homonymous. And bassist Jason Todbert. And a surprise return of James Love, who leaves the band after a year again. And yeah, eventually they renamed the band after James Love leaves uh, Sing the Body Electric. Which is a cool name, to be fair. But despite the cool name, the band will not go anywhere. They will for a while keep a message board, nowadays completely scrubbed even from the Internet Archive, where their singer, Anthony Scalamir, would brag about things like, I don't know, beating up people for wearing dashboard confessional shirts at their show, being better than all of the current radio music, and eventually Anthony Scalamir breaks up the band through a message board post, without letting anyone else know. The final sentence of the message board post is, Think the body is dead. And while all of this has been scrubbed from the internet, possibly because, you know, bragging about assaulting people, uh, I tend to think all of this information is accurate because the one thing they record after Scalamir leaves is a song with Bunnies and Kittens singer Rafael Bustamante as a new vocalist. And they record this thing under the new name of Think the Body is Dead. This formation will not even tour or anything. They break up in like a couple of weeks. Doesn't really work out. They just had to get in that one last fuck you. Yeah. (laughs) Will Salazar returns to our story where he is quoted in multiple interviews that he was in talks with other members of the band throughout 2002 and 3, trying to find ways to make money off of the corpse, even though it does not exist anymore. And that's my little bit about the corpse aside, a direct quote. They initially think about releasing a best-of collection or some old tour footage as a DVD, but as you can tell, none of these things really happens. Eventually, they realize that to make money from a band, you have to have a band, so they start playing a couple of reunion shows in late 2004 with the same formation they broke up with, De La Paz on drums and Chris Lewis as a substitute for Love on guitar. In 2005, their third reunion show is recorded and released as the live CD Purple Rain in Blood as the one of the first releases of the new indie label Adrenaline, together with the best of Michael Bolton Live. Prince will send the band a cease and desist over this album cover, and further releases of the record feature shittier clip art in its place. The cover of this live record is literally ripping off Prince and Slayer for a mashup cover, and they got sued for it, which is amazing. So, this lineup leads to a series of reunion tours which are still fraught with issues because two-thirds of the band are still assholes. Most notably, in the middle of the 2005 tour, Damon is asked to leave in the middle of it. No one in the band has ever specified what happens, but a lot of things involving the words incident and asked to leave are used. (laughs) The band will continue to tour sporadically without him. You know things are bad when somebody is politely asked to leave. You know things are bad when there's an incident. (laughs) I've done a lot of stupid shit in my life, but only twice have the police called it an incident. Yeah, when something is defined to us the incident without saying what happened, you know it's bad. You know it's bad. Yeah. Yeah. In 2015, Will Salazar will unfortunately uh, be subject to a stroke, but will survive it. He'll do extensive therapy to recover and ultimately will recover fully. You can see him in interview around 2017 and he actually seems fine. So that's good. 
this will inspire him to join the band once again to release a new EP in 2016 named Cree EP. It's like creep, but EP. They will tour once again in 2017. During interviews, Will will talk about having watched some kind of monster and really wishing that the band had a non-tour therapist, which, you know, probably means that the band still hates each other at the moment. Yep. (laughs) (sighs) Wikipedia mentions that Demon de la Paz joined them for the creepy, which is wrong. Uh, The source they used removed de la Paz's name from the article, and all of the promotional material doesn't feature De La Paz. The confusion may come because De La Paz came back for the, the Warp Tour dates in 2018, which are the last recorded dates live that Phoenix TX had in 2018. But to today, Phoenix TX keeps releasing merchandising through their very occasionally posting Instagram page, like, you know, Phoenix TX branded skateboards and hats, shirts, do you want a Phoenix TX skateboard, Adam? I know you're a young person who likes to skateboard. I've never touched a skateboard. I don't understand. I now need to find that picture of Steve Buscemi and Photoshop Phoenix TX onto the board on his back. <laughs> That's the thing young people do. They skateboard. Then of the past, as I mentioned, joined the band in the Warp Tour dates and is currently teaching and playing in a psychedelic math rock band named Los Pinche Pinches. Couldn't find any other info about what everyone else is doing at the moment in 2020. They are not on social media. We hope they're alive. This is, this is the story of Phoenix DX. And they all lived happily ever after. The end. Well, they, they live fine. <laughs> you know. I think Will Salazar's happy. Yeah. I think he's. I think that dude is going to be happy with anything but a gun to his head. He seems like a positive chap. Yeah, if you listen to an interview, he seems pretty chill. Well, good. You know? Yep. It's an interesting story. I don't know. I, I hoped to get more reaction from that Avril Lavigne cover album from y'all, but sure. Oh, I looked up the stuff that was on it, and uh, this sounds like a nightmare, and I don't know anyone on it. Listen, <laughs> this podcast has hardened my heart to cursed things. Now, that said, I don't know who the twin wizards are, but I and I don't know what the Avril Lavigne song they're covering is, but I do definitely want to listen to a track called Twin Wizards Naked. <laughs> sure. Girlfriend is Avril Lavigne from 2007. Huh. Oh, yeah, that, that, that is a song. Also, Zebrahead covers it. Uh, no. <laughs> of course they do. <laughs> yeah, Phoenix CX has extreme Zebrahead energy. But without the success. They're, they're the yin and yang. Is Zebrahead the one with the, the Feed Me Grapey song or is that someone else? I think so, yeah. Okay. Also, Zebrahead were the ones who got on to do an actual Sonic the Hedgehog theme. Here's the thing, is that, like, Phoenix TX definitely wishes that they could have been Zebrahead, but they couldn't fully commit to having their, like, uh, literal jerk-off song involve being fed grapeys by a big-breasted woman. This is a big question. Do you think that if Phoenix TX didn't hate each other and just imploded... Do you think they could have been as big as Zebrahead? <laughs> no. No? No. Okay. I don't think any of them have the talent or the connections to be headline a Sonic game big. <laughs> I know exactly what I said. 
Okay. I think this is all I have to say about this album. Same song, different chorus. So, this was the episode. Have you all enjoyed the history of Phoenix TX? What are your final thoughts on Phoenix TX as a band? It got me to buy a NASCAR album, so they can't be all bad. Definitely, like, um, you know those, well, Ellie probably doesn't know. Ellie is a snob. <laughs> Love you. Um, you know those terrible movies that people watch where they're like, this is terrible, but I love it because it's fun. I'm me, so yes. Yeah, so Phoenix TX kind of reminds me of that, except for I'm, like, seeing other people saying that about it, and then I just, like, don't quite get it. I'm like, eh, I mean, eh. Yeah, that noise pretty much sums up Team Phoenix TX, to be honest. They are very much the ghost of a fart of music, yes. <laughs> I like the bit where their substitute singer for their, you know, side project bragged about beating up people for having dashboard confessional shirts. That was cool. <laughs> you know, before we covered that first dashboard album, I would have said that was extreme, but maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, you can find us on getoutofthistown.com, which is our website, which you should visit, despite what Fletch would make you think. Good God. You can mail us at getoutofthistownpodcast at gmail.com. You can add us on Twitter at G-G-O-O-T-T podcast. We're on iTunes, we're on Spotify, we're on Google Play, we're on Amazon, we're everywhere. So if you happen to be everywhere, rate and review us, especially on iTunes. That helps, I hear. I don't know. I do not know the algorithm, but I think that helps. What is next, Fletch? Next week, we creep towards the one that I know is going to make the two of you light up. Blink-182's Take Off Your Pants and Jacket. Yeah. Oh. I look forward to hearing if I am more uh, more upbeat on the band after they've matured for a year. <laughs> well, or after we degraded. After we degraded after having listened to, like, two years, three years of pop punk. <laughs> Anyhow, do you have anything to plug, Fletch? You can find all my projects at hellscaper.com. Do you have anything to plug, Adam? Nope. And you can find me on Twitter at ACCTheMoon. And if you want to support us, we do not have a Patreon, but we do offer our services as tour therapists. So hire us, and your band won't implode and split up about four times, and end up recording an Avril Lavigne cover. We're useful. Hey, hey, you, you, you need mental health, friends. Hey, hey, you, you. Good night. <laughs> Good night. I've got the time to stick around. I'll catch my flight like a pop pumpkin. Get out of this town. What's on your mind? There's no point left to keep your image down. Let's terrify. And we... <laughs> And so we end our segment. Fletch reads the <laughs> reads the lineup for a uh, two years old warp tour. I'm not gonna lie. I don't think anything today is gonna make me laugh as hard as finding out there's a band aid. My children, my bride. And we start with.
No, no, I know that song. That's not Phoenix TX. Phoenix TX could never put out something that's that catchy. Yeah. Hey, I'm going to say something cursed and you're going to hate me for it. Mm. Come on. Phoenix TX Hot Springs episode. Ooh, awesome. Let's do it. Told you. Uh, yeah. Ooh. Oh, no. Deal. <laughs> that, oh, no. That... Phoebe Cates is in the next pool and, and he falls over the fence. That, that, like, that did me some psychic damage. I think that might have done, done me some spiritual damage. Like, is a not terrible cover of I'm With You for Boys on Top, a pock runk trip. Boys on t- Wow, I don't even know what I said there. <laughs> <laughs>